every child needs connection, every child. And you have to find how to reach that child. And some of the children, you're going to have to find the key to get through. You have to get through all the sensory stimulation. You have to get through all this other stuff, but you have got to find a way to make a connection with that child. And once you get that connection, they have to have a felt sense of safety. Once they have those two ingredients, all of us will start to, to blossom. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber. And in this episode, I'm excited to be bringing to the show, Dr. Becky Bailey an award-winning author, speaker, educator, and expert in childhood education and developmental psychology. For more than 20 years, Dr. Bailey has been a pioneer in the movement to change the way children, and in particular, differently wired children, are treated. Many parents and teachers in the TILT community know her as the founder of Conscious Discipline, an evidence-based comprehensive approach to behavior using the principles of safety, connection, and problem-solving. Initially conceived for classrooms, the conscious discipline techniques are now used all over the world in classrooms and homes alike, leading a revolution of the heart rooted in brain science. This conversation is full of the kind of powerful reframes and helpful tips that will leave you not only thinking about your parenting differently, but will give you step-by-step changes you can begin implementing immediately in your interactions with your child. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to have this conversation with Dr. Bailey, who generously shared so much wisdom with us. And now here is my conversation with Dr. Bailey. Hello, Becky. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. I'm excited to have you on the show. I've been really diving into your work. I've been familiar with your work for months and months and months and beyond. Um, And I was so excited when you agreed to be on the show and honestly, a little overwhelmed because you work in so many different areas and there's so much to share. But today, I would love to really introduce my listeners to your conscious discipline model and that work that you began. I think you recently, a couple of years ago, had your 20-year anniversary. Is that correct? Yeah, so we're we're moving on to 25 years. Of course, I've been doing it for, my gosh, I don't know that I want to tell everybody that, but probably, <laughs> you know, I think it's my life's work. So since I was born. Yeah, wow. Well, I actually would love to, I know that you were an educator, and I'm curious if you could share with us what inspired you to create this model. You know, was it something that happened over time as you were a teacher? Or tell us about that shift in your work. I think uh, as I looked out into the world, there was a lot of be- challenging behaviors that, that children exhibited that were deemed as the, the view that they were seen as was uh, either something's wrong with the child or they're being very disrespectful, oppositional. And it was uh, that view that I thought was inhibiting any chance of uh, a mindset growth in that area. And it's also very easy to see that the same kids who seem to be marginalized or get in trouble are the same kids over and over and over and over again. So whatever you're doing isn't working. And as a teacher, I just kept saying there's got to be a better way. I mean, uh, we're just not approaching this correctly. And then around uh, 
before and four as a teacher, but around age 17. So I was right out of right in high school, my senior year, I had a car wreck and uh, a near death experience, actually. But I also had brain damage. So with that brain damage, there was significant workarounds I had to do in my head because the wiring had shifted for me. And I was kind of left on my own to figure that out. No one could help me figure out how to achieve my goals with the way I was maneuvering. So put all that together and uh, over time and a lot of studying, a lot of insight and a lot of work with children and a lot of work with parents. And, uh, and here I, here's how I got here. And I, I do remember a very critical day where I was in a lake where some children who had Down syndrome were in the lake and the, it was a group situation and the supervisor or the teacher in that case wanted them out of the lake. And they did everything on earth. I mean, so at the last moment, they said, well, you're not getting lunch unless you get out. I mean, they had threatened everything. They had done, you know, the whole litany of let me scream at you, let me condemn you, let me harass you, let me beg for you, let me try to bribe you, let me do, let me reason with you. They had tried their gamut of skill set. And uh, the child was still in the, the lake having a great time, I may add. And so at that point, I walked into that lake and I was now only like maybe 21 years old or 20. I was a kid. And I said, stop, you can't do this. And I mean, I wasn't even an official teacher. I said, this is just wrong. You can't treat people like this. And I said, I'll go in there. I, you know, I walked in as a kid. Well, I couldn't help. And, and I made a decision that day that the rest of my life I would. There's a way. There is a way. And I think over the over the years with working with, uh, I, you know, I can't even tell you the number of schools and parents and children, you know, so we're, we've reached down, I think, about 15 million kids. I can't even remember the numbers. 47 countries. So um, something's working. So I guess that's my story. It's <laughs> incredible. And I love that story that you shared. I can really picture that. And I think it's so cool when we have those sparks and those moments and not everyone pays attention to them. And I'm so glad that you did. So what you ended up developing and what you say is your life's work is your conscious discipline model. Can you explain what that is? Introduce that concept to listeners. You bet. Uh, So first of all, it's based on neuroscience. So as you can recollect, recollect from my story, I had a brain, a traumatic brain injury. So that threw me into a very, I mean, I'm 17 now. So that threw me into a lot of neuroscience early. So the whole program is based on neuroscience. And I'm going to make it simple right now, and then I'll come back. The ultimate goal is to facilitate or create optimal environments and respond to children in a way, especially when they're in an upset situation or a conflict situation. I want to respond in such a way that I promote optimal brain development for one. But second, I want to help a child or an adult or myself be able to set and achieve a goal despite obstacles, distractions, any kind of other issues. And when you find and be conscious enough, so the discipline part is not like punishment. Discipline is like in the military, disciplined enough to stay on your diet, disciplined enough to achieve whatever goal you're after. So you can set and achieve a goal, 
that's the disciplined enough and conscious enough to know when you're in your weed. So if I'm going to lose weight, when I end up eating Dunkin' Donuts, I need to be conscious of that moment. This is not going to get me there. And then willing enough, willing, and that comes where the connection and the relationships come into, willing enough to come back to my original track without getting up or exploding. So uh, that's the ballpark of it, but it really is a self-regulation program. And it's a very, very comprehensive one. So that's my starting point. And then we can get a little into the brain if you want after that. Yeah. And it's not just to be clear, it's not, well, this is the side effect is teaching kids or modeling self-regulation for kids. You're talking about the adults in the room self-regulating themselves, correct? Oh my gosh. It's an adult first model. I mean, I, th- I think that ultimately, I think my whole life mission is to do away with this one thing. Do what I say, not what I do. I mean, certainly that doesn't work. It doesn't work culturally. It doesn't work in families. It doesn't work. So that's the ultimate goal of it. We can't teach children what we don't know. So that's where I start with the adult. Because if you look at self-regulation, how do we do it? First, we're modeling it. I mean, obviously we're modeling it. But second, the key is, How we respond to a child's distress is like the antibodies to to culture. That's how you create resilience and that ability to, you know, stand up and bounce back. That's what we're after, that notion of how adult responds to a child's behavior or challenging upset and seeing past the behavior. Because we tend to look at behavior as good or bad. Uh, which is very unhealthy way to look at it. To me, behavior is either safe or not safe. And that way we don't throw kids into the good and bad category, labeling each child for each other child and for teachers and for adults. Uh, We have some kids that have some challenges that at this point are behaving in an unsafe way saying, could you help me? Our kids are, are behaving in a safe way who are usually using all their skill sets to help others. So, That's kind of the bottom line. I love that differentiator. That's a big part of what we talk about in the Tilt Parenting community and on this show is that, and I recently had Dr. Mona De La Hook on the show and we talked about that idea of behavior not being purposeful, that it is really 99% of the time a lagging skill or, you know, it's, it's bringing that to attention, but I love this safe versus not safe versus good and bad. That is a fantastic reframe. Yes. So as soon as you change it, so I think there's, instead of trying to go, whether that was intentional or not, I think we have two intentional states. One, we're offering our love and help to the universe or to our society and our family. We're contributors And at whatever age you are, I mean, you know, a a two-year-old can only contribute a little bit, you know what I mean, but whatever age makes a difference. Or we're calling for help or calling for love. So all behavior in my perception is some form of communication, you know, and we see this and we do so well with babies, you know, when they go, "Eh, eh, eh," you know, they're communicating non-verbally. You wanted the toy. You wanted some food. Go, eh. But then when they get older and they throw the table because of their upset and and, and rage and anger at so many factors, we don't say, you wanted some help. 
Right. You know, which right. is what they do. It's, it's just another way of saying, I am completely overwhelmed at this moment. Could anybody see past this behavior? Could you see that overwhelmingness inside me? I mean, you know, I've got my nervous system is jacked up. You know, all the sensations in my body are off the deep end. Please hear my call as opposed to judge my being. And I think that as long as we can reach, I'd love to reach all parents, but I certainly love to reach all teachers because sometimes some parents are in their own overwhelmed state giving what they're doing on a daily basis, depending mm-hmm. on uh, the children in their life or the fact that they can't pay the light bill. But a common denominator, and this is why I went for educators first, the common denominator is educators are working with somebody else's kid. So we're not as triggered by some of the stuff they're doing. And hopefully in that day, we know that we hopefully have food on the table for ourselves. I mean, we all go down as educators too, but I think we have a a way of, of being slightly more able to, if educated and if given the skill set, we cannot take the behaviors that are demonstrating in front of us as personally as possibly a parent could. I love that so much of your work focuses on teachers. And that's something that I'm really working with others in my community to think about how can we bridge that gap, that communication gap between parents and teachers and support teachers more. I'm just curious to know what your experience has been. I know you've trained teachers all over the world. And how responsive are schools and administrators to making this change? Because there's such a focus on classroom management. And I mean, I know the struggle is real for teachers. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, you saw me kind of chuckle when you asked the question. Yeah. Now, 25 years ago, uh, not that many people wanted to hear what I had to say. And slowly over time, the children are demanding we change. And that's what I think this huge differently wired movement is bringing to the world, not just an individual child contributing to our expansion of our brain and our mindset and our skill set, but this whole notion of, you know, like one in five kids, I mean, they're asking us to change. I mean, they collectively are bringing us to our knees. And I think we needed to go to our knees. We were so in love with punishment. And it's so deeply been embedded in our own uh, tissues from what we received from our parents, what they received from their parents, what they, re- you know, it, this goes back generations and generations. So we needed something huge to get our society to kind of wake up and see things differently. And people generally, in my mind, change through desire or desperation. And desperation usually wins out. I know in my life, I'll think, oh, I need to be doing this. I should exercise. I should rest more. I shouldn't, you know, blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, I'm sick. Well, then desperation set in. That slowed me down. So we started off with the schools we worked with that just were desperate. They could not handle the number of kids in their schools who either had trauma or whatever different wiring systems that they may have. 
as you call it, differently wired kids were were taking schools and teachers and everybody actually quite down. Uh, and they were trying their method of remedy to that is let me let me control every human that walks into this building and shove knowledge in their face. I mean, we went back to an old tighten up and control them and suspend them and expel them. And, you know, we went backwards as opposed to forward. So those schools were our first to want to listen. And so then it found out that it was helpful. The parents loved it. The teachers loved it. It backs up into the home. And so we've moved from there. So we have uh, impacted very desperate either parents or schools quite nicely. So here's the main, main point. We don't work with anybody that's not willing. We never had a marketing department. We never had anything. We just answer the phone. And by answering the phone, we've just ended up all around the world. Amazing to me. But people find us because somebody told somebody, somebody told somebody, and because it was helpful to them. So I have found schools now, the last five years, are intensely ready for something new. The numbers of children have outnumbered what we would call typically those in the bell curve. And so, yay for the kids. I I think it's phenomenal. I think the children with autism have brought huge things to our awareness of where we draw a line in connection, where we know every child needs connection, every child. And you have to find how to reach that child and some of the children. You're going to have to find the key to get through. You have to get through all the sensory stimulation. You have to get through all this other stuff, but you have got to find a way to make a connection with that child. And once you get that connection, they have to have a felt sense of safety. Once they have those two ingredients, all of us will start to to blossom. Mm. But sometimes it's hard to get to those two ingredients through a nervous system that's hard to regulate. Yes, absolutely. So what I would love to do is you touched upon this a little bit is there are different ways that we can handle conflict, right? We can handle it from a place of fear or from a place of love. And what I love, you know, and listeners, definitely I'll have a lot of links on the show notes page for this episode because Dr. Bailey has a ton of great videos on YouTube and there's so many ways to see this model in action. But could you maybe give us an example, whether it's from a parent perspective or a teacher of what it's like to handle a conflict or a tough situation from that place of fear versus from that place of love. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up-level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites? 
turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60tilt at greenchef.com slash 60tilt. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com tilt for 25% off. Okay, I'm going to relate it to our brain too. So fear, uh, when we're trying to react from fear or predicting fear, predicting the child won't get in the car, predicting this is going to be a problem, predicting as a teacher, oh my gosh, I got this kid, these predictions. So as we walk into a situation with fear as the core, it downshifts our brain into the lower centers. So you can guarantee that you're walking in somewhat powerless. So you're walking in with only three skills, defend, attack, or withdraw, or it, quote, ignore, which is also a, a skill that a lot of people say, just ignore that. In other words, withdraw from it. So in doing so, when you walk in with just that intention, forget the fact you've opened your mouth yet it radiates out us. We have uh, an energy field that radiates off our heart. I mean, it goes off. Everyone knows this. You walk in a room and some problem's been uh, distraught in a house and you go, oh, you can feel it in your body. Uh Uh-oh, bad time. You know, I'll come back later. I mean, we can feel this. The kids feel it, of course, intensely. So when you walk in with that, you're you're stuck with three skills and none of them are going to get you anywhere because they're going to you're either going defending against what might happen so you're already charged up or you're going in ready to attack when they don't. So if you go in with the presence of love, that means love. That means you are 
walking in the best person you can walk into that situation. So you've already regulated yourself. You've come up to the higher centers of your brain. From that state in the higher centers of the brain, you don't see stuff as threat like from fear. Everything you look at from the lens of fear looks like there's a threat coming. But when you're in the higher centers of your brain, you actually have the opportunity to make up your perception. You have a choice. So in the lower centers, you have no choice. We have a brain in the lower centers, very similar to animals. It, it just works that way. Pull yourself up to the higher centers, and then you can access your own inner wisdom. You can access choice. I can actually see that behavior, not as good and bad, but I can see it as unsafe and safe. I can see that behavior is that child is tremendously upset. So I must walk in as the calmest thing. I must show up as Buddha for God's sake in that moment. So, and then when I get to that higher center, that center of where I can access a choice of perception, I then have a greater opportunity to regulate myself, to to make the behavior that the child is exhibiting not about me, We call it the Q-tip method, quit taking it personally. It's not about me. It's their call for help. And how can I be of assistance as opposed to how can I control, manage, or make that child do something? The question in fear is how can I make you blank? The question from love is how can I help you be successful at getting in the car? How can I help you be successful with lights and noise and big sounds, whatever it seems to be throwing you over the edge or someone saying to you, no. (laughs) I love the Q-tip, quit taking it personal. I mean, I always recommend parents ask themselves, what am I making this mean? Because, you know, we do see this behavior through our own lens. And I love that. I will, I will hold on to that, the Q-tip. So how do we make that shift so that we can engage from that place of love? How do we stop ourselves? I know you have a strategy for that. Okay. I'm going to go with the, the adult. Okay. I'm talking yeah. from the adult because if we learn how to do this, then it's like, hmm, well, I can actually teach my child this and a teach meaning you have to be creative in that uh, with children with different wiring. You have to really be creative in your teaching, but let's start with the adult. So in the lower centers of your brain, we have, uh, I'm just doing a little brain lesson. We have what's the autonomic nervous system. And that autonomic nervous system has a gas pedal, which means fight or flight. And it has a brake, which says rest or digest. Okay. So we're going to have to balance that. And if you think of it as a car, like a gas and a brake, you've got to have both those systems working to drive your car safely through town. So a lot of our children and a lot of our parents don't know how to do this, but differently wired kids have a different brake or gas situation. I've had a lot of kids who have, you know, they're in, a, they're driving a Maserati and they only have a gas pedal. They haven't installed their brake yet. So I'm going to use this little clacker that I have. You hear that? Mm-hmm. That's just one of those toys that the kids have that you shake and it clacks back and forth. I use this for parents to help. So when our clacker gets going and we can't find our break, we have got to take action. First, we have to feel the sensations in our body and be aware of them. Or you can hear it comes out in your voice tone, but as soon as you're aware of them, the first thing you're going to do is take a deep belly breath. 
So how do you regulate the gas and the break in your brain is through deep belly breathing. This is not, this means your belly has to move. You go inhale, your belly goes out. Exhale, your belly goes in. And I know everybody talks about breathing, but nobody's doing it exactly. You have to move your diaphragm is the point. The diaphragm has to move. And the exhale has to be slightly longer than the inhale. So it's kind of like inhale through your nose, one, two, three, four. Exhale, one, two, three, four, five, six. But my belly is moving. That will start your what's called the parasympathetic, that will start that process or that's the break in you. It'll start it going, okay? You just start that breathing. Then that gives you enough wisdom to hear the stuff you're saying in your head because it's triggered you and no kid made you mad, but it stepped into an anger you've been carrying for thousands of years here. You'll hear in your head, you'll start talking to yourself and it won't be calming thoughts, so now you've got your system jacked up and now you're adding kindling onto a fire in your head. I don't have to put up with this. You know, I've done this all along. I don't know why my spouse doesn't help sometimes. And, you know, I mean, but you're not saying this out loud, but this is cooking inside your head. Okay. So what you've got to do is you've got to hear that speech and then you've got to override it. So there's no need to go to counseling and trying to get rid of that speech. You've got it. That's yours. You won. But what you can do is overlay it. So as you hear that speech, <laughs> you say to yourself, I'm safe. Keep breathing. I can handle this. And But when you say keep breathing, you've got to breathe again. So I already started breathing. Then I go, I'm safe. Keep breathing. I can handle this. Okay, You have to keep doing that. And then you're moving up to the higher centers of your brain and you're holding on for dear life because as soon as you quit doing any of that, you're sliding down that slide into this isn't worth it mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever. You're, you're, or I, I, I try so hard. I can't believe I love everybody so much. I, can't, I try so hard. Some people go into that voice. Mm-hmm. Either way, it's, it's, it doesn't help. That voice inside your head is your self-regulatory speech. And it's not doing its job. <laughs> it's lying so we, to us. <laughs> yes, it is lying. And, and, and we tend to believe those messages too, which is, is sad. But anyway, you're going to, you have to override that. You have to override it. I'm safe. Keep breathing. I can handle it. And then when you get to the higher centers of the brain, you're going to have to do a, a huge skill, uh, which is you have to wish whoever's in front of you well, which means you've got to get your heart back open. So what helps then is if you put your hand, actually just touch your heart kind of nonchalantly, it helps to bring your attention to your heart. And you're going to imagine, because that's how we move energy, and the heart sends off a ton of energy. Uh, The brain sends off enough energy to run a light bulb all day, and the heart is about 100 times more than that. So you're going to imagine the energy of love. And what I do, I'm only giving you mine. This is me. I imagine that all the love from, I I do angels. I mean, but you just make it up. That's how you move energy. So I imagine all this love comes through my back, out my heart to this person in front of me. That keeps my heart open and I can sustains me at the higher centers. 
I mean, that sounds a lot, lot, but it works and you just have to try it. And then I'm going to be present enough in the higher centers of my brain. My heart opens up. The child feels the intention shift in front of me. And then what comes out of my mouth is the tone changes my voice. My face softens. My finger's not wagging at somebody's face. Everything softens. So in that moment, that child feels or senses a felt sense of safety. They will already start to come. And then if they don't have autism, but they can make eye contact with you and you just take a breath, just keep breathing. But like this, using the mirror neurons in the brain and you will download that child. So everybody knows you can catch an emotion. You know, you're fine until someone gets grumpy. Now everybody's grumpy. Well, you can catch calm too. And kids, because, especially kids with different wiring, their, their sensory system gets overloaded so quick and their intensity of their emotions is so great. Uh, we catch theirs very quickly. Mm. We catch it. I mean, it's like, a, a, you know, and now we've got California wildfires going everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so we have got to consciously discipline ourselves enough so that they start catching our calm before we even open our mouth. That's the first step. And then you've got to make sure whatever comes out of your mouth tells the child what you want them to do. Because when you're upset, you're always focused on what you don't want. So every time from fear, fear is looking for what they don't want. Higher centers of our brain can see what we do want. Stand up hold my hand, walk with me. Take your hands and go like this. Click. That's the seatbelt. Watch. Take your hands and go like this. Click. And become a picture of what we want them to do with our body, with our voice, and with the words we use. Pick up all the red toys and put them in your bin in your bedroom to put on the shelf. I'll help you with the blue ones. I'm making this up, you know, as I go along. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. 
However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free. You know, even just listening to you, I feel so much calmer now, but you know, I feel like this is the area that is challenging for most parents of any type of child, but parents who have especially intense children, it is that challenge of catching ourselves before we flip our own lids, you know, and, and it's still something I, I work on and I have lots of opportunity to work on it, but I work on it daily, but I've never heard it explained in such a way that I feel like this is a plan that I couldn't follow. I know exactly what to do. And I imagine that it's a muscle that we built and it will over time become more of our default. Yes. And the beauty of that is and this is so difficult. So a couple things to remember. The kids with different wiring are demanding this of us. And that's what I call that movement. That movement, they're going to force us to a place we didn't know we needed to grow in. They're going to force us to get skills we didn't know we needed. But the whole planet needs all these skills. And they need it now because if they don't, we're going to kill each other and blow each other up. We're on that route at any given day. But all these differently wired kids say, let's all learn. You have to learn to calm down first so that you can help me. So they're pushing every adult on this planet to kind of, okay, I'll, I can't do it. Help me. But I see it as perfect timing. We've got the perfect storm to, in my mind to destroy ourselves. And we've got the perfect storm happening to to help ourselves. And mm. I know I got off on a tangent, but I, I just hope that people can understand so that we can calm down enough in the midst of intense emotional moments. And I know nobody better for uh, uh, emotional outbursts than differently wired kids for their intensity. So <laughs> it takes us, you know, it's like that last seven miles in a marathon. You know, you've got to push hard mm-hmm. and you got to tag out. So my, I guess my thing is with, uh, with parents working with differently wired kids, the hard part, of course, would be the single parent to me. Uh, but you have to have a tag out team like in wrestling. You know, I've done all I can. I'm tagging out. I can't handle it anymore. And that gives the other one to kind of recoup, get their head back in the game. Then you tag in again. I mean, it's a, it's a tag team. 
It's so true. It's so true. And I, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of who these kids are and and the change the, that I believe they're bringing into the world. And, and I say this all the time, they do demand more from us, but it is through their demands that we all benefit. We all as parents, as caregivers, as people who, who spend time with these kids, they better us. And on all the teachers, they're changing our education system for the better. Now, half the country, and I would say the half the people I meet are fighting it, trying to go back the old way, you know, and get more punitive and more exclusionary. The other half uh, of the world, and we're working with a lot of those, are saying, okay, I give up. Teach me anything. I'll try it. I'm, I'm, I'm desperate enough. You, I don't care if you told me to wave new paper over my head and drink orange juice. I'm going to try it. <laughs> yeah. The change is coming. The change is coming. Our kids are, are on the front lines. Yes. And it's us. And uh, so if we can regulate that, we have to get that autonomic nervous system balance. We have to get in a car. With, and most of us are pedal to the metal. All of us adults. You know, it's a go, 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 go world. So we're not good at putting our brake on either. So we really don't have a developed brake, so to speak. Yeah, and it wasn't modeled. It wasn't modeled for most of us. No, we've never seen it. This is brand new. One thing I do want to share, though, is our upset voice. Remember I talked about the self-regulatory speech in your brain? Our upset voice as adults becomes a child's inner self-regulatory voice. So if you'll notice the voice in your head or my head or anybody listening, you'll hear, you know, in there is your mother, your father, your grandmother, your aunt, a teacher. But the, but the voice in there is when they're upset. You're, you're recording how they handled when the world didn't go their way. And if you listen, you'll, you'll hear those. There's a flavor of, although that's part of dad, that's part of, you know, when the world didn't go their way. Because some of them might have done the silent treatment. The world didn't go their way, so they didn't speak to anybody for a day. Others are screamers and yellows. Others are blamers. Others blame themselves and are victims to the world in general. Those voices are in our head. And that's our self-regulatory system. So the ultimate goal of conscious discipline is not only to change our, and not with just that one skill. We have seven skills, and it's a little bit complex. I'm giving you the basics here. But we've got to change our self-regulatory system. So how we respond, I'm going to go back to that, how we respond to a child's distress not only calms them at the moment, but gives them the tone of voice, the intention, the words that are going to be in their head ultimately for the rest of their lives, either lighting the fire or or calming it down. It's so powerful. So this is, this is an evolutionary step. I mean, again, we can't go, Oh, you know, there's no one to blame. And it's not like we are to blame. We're just a generation that happened to be here at this time. uh, When we could look at a brain without having people dead (laughs) and learn a few things that we didn't know. And it's, it's a great time to be alive. So it, we have this chance. And again, we're handing this down to our children. And, you know, I, it'll take generation after generation. But we're the start of a huge movement. Uh, started with the kids. 
resting on our adult shoulders. And, you know, I'm not going to live long enough to see it all happen, but it'll happen. (laughs) It's so inspiring. Thank you so much. This has been so insightful. And I, I think it's going to fundamentally change people's thinking who are listening to this episode and, and are just going to be so grateful for these tools. And if I could offer one tool that I, mean, I don't want to do a commercial here, but one of the things we have with conscious discipline is called the feeling buddies. So what they are is they're actually dolls with faces on them, but you're asking your child to regulate their feeling. But for young children, young children don't have mature inner speech. So it takes two to regulate. So it takes two when they're young, usually seven and under and children with different wiring could be nine and under depending on what's going on within them. So when kids are young, what I developed was these feeling buddies so that they could start regulating them, regulating this doll called their anger. So they're going to regulate their anger. And then there's a little book in there that tells them the words to say to calm anger down, the words to say to support sadness, the words to say to to support disappointment. So the little book that goes with it teaches them the words. But the most important thing is if we're not using those words too, it's hard for us to respond to their distress in a helpful way. So the side effect of this for the child doing it is you learn how to do it. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Uh, But I have found it very helpful for kids in trying to install a different inner speech than we got, or at least counteract it, you know. That's great. I love that. Well, listeners, I will, as I said, I will have a lot of resources on the show notes. So definitely check this out because I'm going to include links to some of the YouTube videos that I think you should absolutely watch. Because as you heard from Becky's interview that she has a lot of scripts and just language that I think are is super helpful. You know, even that, what you said that we can tell ourselves, I'm safe, keep breathing, I can handle it. You know, just those scripts for us to hold on to can be just so helpful when we're in the moment and just to have those in our head. So I will include all of those in the show notes. And Becky, I just want to say thank you so much for the work you do in the world and for coming by and sharing some of it with us today. Oh, you're so welcome. And again, thank you, Debbie. I mean, it's, it takes the whole tribe. So we're all in this together. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, where you can download the transcript, find links to Dr. Bailey's resources, and everything we discussed today, just visit tiltparenting.com slash session 195. If you get a lot out of Tilt Parenting and would like to make a small monthly contribution to help cover the production costs associated with the show, it's really easy to do. Just go to patreon.com slash tiltparenting to sign up. You can pledge $10, $5, or even just $2 a month. Again, that's patreon.com slash Tilt Parenting. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating or a review for Tilt Parenting on iTunes. Ratings and reviews help keep this podcast visible in an ever-growing sea of podcasts. Thanks so much for considering. And that's all for this week. For more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com.
I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.